Let me ask you a question. Do you hate conflict? We have people in this room, and I know, that avoid conflict like the plague. Like if you're in the grocery store and there is someone that you're in conflict with, you run, right? Like you drop your cart, you just leave it, and you're like, okay, I got to go. And then they're like, wait, I saw you. And you're like, something's serious. I got to leave, right? Like you avoid it like crazy. But what do you do if the fight is unavoidable? What do you do if the conflict is coming to you and there's no way out of this? This morning, that's exactly where we are. We're in this place in the scriptures. We're going to look at it and it's going to go, look, this fight that is coming to you is unavoidable. So the question isn't, are you going to fight as believers in Christ? It's how are we going to fight as believers in Christ? And we're going to see maybe Christmas like you've never seen Christmas before, right? We always look at Christmas and it's like this cute little baby born in a manger. And it's so wonderful. And there's gifts and there's wise men and angels appear and they're singing. But in the heavenly realm, there's a war. A war breaks out. And the Bible's going to let us in to this kind of battle that you and I are, are going to look at. And here's how I would, this is what really I thought about this week. My grandfather, um, I called him Pap, um, he was six foot five, and he, so obviously I didn't get those genes, okay? Um, but he ended up playing defensive end for the University of West Virginia. Um, when his family passed away, he moved back to Pittsburgh. Uh, while he was in Pittsburgh, he, uh, he grew up um, as a young man. His mom died shortly after he was born, and he was a street fighter. And that's how he made money. If you're a big person in this room, kind of everyone wants to start a fight with you. You realize that. Um, and so he, they did, and he would beat them up. And so... <laughs> Uh, He later in in, uh, World War II joined the Air Force as a mechanic and an electrician, but actually because he was so big and so good at fighting, he became a boxer for the Air Force. And so he was always, though, a gentle giant. Uh, And there's stories that I can regale you with of awesome things that he did and beating people up and all this stuff. But there's one lesson that he taught me as a kid um, that, that will always stick with me. He said, never start a fight, but always be the one to finish it. Never start a fight, but if one comes, finish it. End that fight. And that's what we're going to look at today. We didn't start this battle. We didn't start this war. But in Christ and through his power and by his might, some of us need to get in it and we need to finish the fight. We need to finish the race that is set before us today. Because here's the reality. We are part of an ancient struggle. This war that we're talking about this morning has been going on for a very long time. It's been going on since really the beginning of creation as we're entered into this story. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. Look at what the Bible says with me. A great sign appeared in heaven. So John is making a move in the text, right? He's, he's gone from seals and, and trumpets and all these things. And he's going to take a break in these next three chapters and kind of give us these signs or these visions that he has that appear in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. It's almost like John is looking at like IMAX, giant screen, and he's looking into the heavens, and he sees these scenes like a movie playing out in front of him. 
Then the the other sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Is that the way you guys remember that Christmas story? Is that how you guys described? There was a dragon in heaven, and this baby's about to be born, and the dragon's waiting to devour the child as the child is born, but the child is snatched up. That's not Christmas for us, is it? But it's the truth of what goes on in this spiritual war, this ancient struggle. So let me introduce you to these characters that show up in the story. Because a lot of us go, oh, the woman is Mary, right? No. This is not a a moment where John is pointing towards Mary. What the woman represents is Israel. True Israel. What he's saying is, is out of true Israel because Israel is described in the book of Psalms and in other places as a woman. Did you notice that she has these 12 stars around here representing the 12 tribes of Israel? And it is out of the Jewish people, out of the Israeli people, that the Messiah was going to be born into the world. And so what is going to begin to happen here is that Israel, God's chosen people, and through God, have been in war and in conflict with this dragon. Now... Who is the dragon? It is Satan. That's exactly who he is. In the book of Genesis, he's referred to as a great serpent, right? In uh, Genesis, we also hear about the behemoth in the sea, right? We, we hear about the great dragon or serpent. And, and there's a whole study that you can do throughout the scriptures on what this ancient beast is. Now, this dragon in this moment shows his strength, and we're kind of held back and go back to the beginning when he fell. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But did you notice that his tail sweeps into the sky and a third of the stars fall to earth? This is talking about the fall of Satan and those angels who chose to follow him, which are now referred to as fallen angels. And so what we see here is this, this new dragon uh, or old beast or serpent, this ancient one, has come in to begin war with the chosen Messiah. The child is really simple. It's Jesus. That word where it says that he will rule with the ancient scepter, like that he will rule, actually means he will shepherd. That's what that word means there. And what is interesting to me is one of the great analogies that Jesus uses on his time here on earth is that he is a shepherd. He is here to lead, to go where the sheep cannot, to do things that the sheep cannot for the benefit of the sheep. And so we are entered into this moment in heaven where John is watching the story take place. And you realize that this is an ancient struggle. And that honestly should be encouraging for you and I. That this battle that we find ourselves in today is not new. And that there are believers throughout this entire book, through the power of God, through the death of Christ, have overcome the battle. 
right? Because what can begin to happen is, is we don't realize that, that we are in this ancient struggle and we personalize everything. Has anyone ever seen how, um, like, if a world record is broken, that it's quickly broken after that? Like, when no one has ever run a mile this fast, ever, and then one time someone does it, and then the minute that that, that mile is broken in that time, other athletes begin to do it. Why? Because you realize that others before you have had the victory, so it's possible for you to. For you and I, as we look at this ancient battle, realize that this is nothing new and that there are believers who in Christ, by the power of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, have overcome this. That that same power that resided in them resides in you and I. And that for you and I, like, we don't need to be afraid of the conflict because we know ultimately that others who have come before us have had victory through Christ. And that same thing is available to you and I. So if we read this story, this gets a little scary, right? Like, there's a dragon ready to kill this male child. And when the male child is not killed and caught up and protected by God, then there is this moment where the woman has to flee. Look at what the Bible says in verse 6. It says this, The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. This is why this is really important that we understand that this isn't just Mary, that this represents Israel. Where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. This is a reference to the end of the tribulation period that he was just getting through. It has representation of what is going on. But here's what I really think. If, if I was uh, just looking at this literally and practically, if a giant red dragon with all of seven heads and a giant tail and all of these things came to kill my kid, I would panic. But the Bible says something very different. The next point in the message is don't panic. Right? Because fear can cause us to do things that we normally wouldn't. Right? Fear that you won't win the battle will cause you to run to things to comfort you that you shouldn't. Right? Fear is not a good leader. And so what happens in this story is we see God's great provision for his people. What's really interesting about this is, is for you and I, when we hear the wilderness, when we hear the desert place, we read that as a place of testing. We read that as a place of kind of no provision or a place of great sadness and, and worry. But for the Jewish reader, it was actually very different. When the Jewish reader would read what this text said, the wilderness was a place of divine provision and fellowship. That Israel was going to go to a place and be in a place where they needed to fully rely on God. And when you need to rely on God, you have a way of building fellowship like no other. So Israel looked at the wilderness moment here and goes, man, this is a good thing. This is a place of God's protection. This is a place where I can learn to hear from God, that I can walk with God, that I can receive from him. And some of you in this room are in a wilderness moment. In your life, that you find yourself in a place in life that you don't really want to be and you hate it. But for the ancient reader of this text, the wilderness was not a place to be avoided, but to seen as a place of encouragement because it is where God would provide supernaturally, but also build fellowship with you like no other way. Anybody here ever been 
through a battle or a hard time in life and there was people that came around you or you experienced God in a way you never have before. I was even telling somebody this week, I, I connect with people really well when there's a battle to fight. When there's coffee to drink and everything's peaceful, I don't do so well. I don't connect that way. I don't, I, it's like, okay. But when there's a war to fight together and we've got to turn a building around in eight weeks and we've got to do all of this stuff, when there's a war to fight, I connect really well with people because all you have is each other and God and there's a way of bringing fellowship and connectedness. Like for some of us in here, maybe your marriage is in a wilderness right now. And you're like, man, this is so terrible and so awful, but could you believe that through the power of God that in the wilderness season you learn to find him and learn to find fellowship with him and, and find fellowship with Christ and that your marriage can be healed because of the fellowship you have with God and then with one another? What if we didn't dread the wilderness? Instead of panicking, we looked at this as actually spiritual provision. See, because what happens in this story, we're going to see this in just a second, is the name of the, the devil or Satan has a, a very interesting meaning. It has a very interesting place where you and I have to understand one of the great tactics of this war. But what happens for so many of us is because we don't live in victory, we tend to run away from Satan. We tend to run away from all of these things instead of running towards God. Those are two very different tactics. Running away from something and running towards something are very different. I was studying this week. I don't know if this is real. I've heard this analogy used a lot of times. If it's fake, it works here, okay? But it talks about how old male lions hunt. If you guys know anything about lions, male lions don't really hunt. It's the girls. They all do all the work, and the guy's just like, hey, what's up? Right? But <laughs> old male lions who really can't do much, they've observed a peculiar behavior of these lions in the wilderness. And what will happen is, is let's say they're at a lake or a pond, um, and the male lion will go to one side of that pond where all the gazelle are, you know, having a good time, drinking, and, you know, just loving life. And then they'll set up the female lines a little bit down the way. And the male line, when you're like really old, he doesn't have much left, but there's one thing he still has. It's a roar. And the male lion will go. And if you know anything about lion's roars, they can be heard for miles and miles. Anyone ever go out to the celery fields and you hear roaring? That's because of big ha habitat. And those lions will roar. And I live about four miles from there. And on really good days, I can hear them. And so what happens is, is the lion will roar and, and scream and yell. And the gazelle will go, oh, heck no. Right? And they will turn and run right into the trap set for them. Because instead of running where they should, they ran away from something into their demise. And I think the same thing is true for you and I. Because the enemy, if the war has already been won, doesn't really have much to go on. Right? If we're in this ancient battle that we realize in the book of Revelation is ultimately won in Christ and what God did through redemptive history, then he doesn't really have a lot left, but he does still have a roar. And for many of us, the enemy will shout accusation at you. Shout untruths at you. Shout 
fear at you, shout worry at you, and instead of running towards God, you run away, and in fear, the enemy overwhelms you. The enemy causes panic in our lives. Instead of running to God, because we didn't learn much in the wilderness, we run away from him. And the reality is, is the best thing that you could do in that moment is you realize that the lion that's roaring at you is toothless and can't do much. The safest place to be would be to run towards it. And if you believe that the battle is already won, then run towards the opponent. Run towards the opponent. Because what you realize is its bark is worse than its bite. And you and I need to not panic, but actually run to the Lord, towards the roar, and we will find God is there. But the reality of this is that this is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. A lot of us focus in on the book of Revelation, and we look at it, and we look at all of these physical things, like the locusts, our Apache helicopters, and like, you know, all of this stuff that it's like, no, 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 this, the war that the Bible is speaking of is first and foremost spiritual. And many of us are using physical tactics to fight the war when it's a real spiritual battle. Let me give you an example. I have severe depression and anxiety and worry and all of these things. And so I do cold plunges and work out every day. This is a spiritual war, not just a physical one. So a lot of us will, will walk in our spirituality physically. We will walk into the war and the battle, and we will fight the fight with the wrong thing. Now, is going and working out and going and doing a cold plunge bad? No! Do those things, but you can't substitute the spiritual part. So while you're freezing to death, pray! <laughs> right? While you're, you, know, you realize that my body's about to fall apart, pray! Right? Seek the Lord! While you're doing these things, listen to the scriptures on your headphones instead of Post Malone, right? Like, listen to something. That this is a spiritual fight first. And some of us aren't really realizing why we are not winning the battle of our life because we're taking it everything physically. Like, here's what I know for a lot of men. A lot of men, actually, this is a lie. A lot of people in this room struggle with pornography. The new statistics are crazy. The average age that a person is introduced to pornography now is nine years old. Oh, by the way, one in every three new pornography viewers is female. So if we look around this room, this is not just a guy problem anymore. This is a problem. And here's what I find a lot of us do. We take very physical tactics to fight the war instead of a spiritual one. So we have blockers on our phones, but we know how to get around those. Right, we, we have accountability, but we don't tell the truth, so it means nothing. We, we fight the war with all of these physical things instead of securing and treating the spiritual problem. Because it's ultimately, when we get down to it, a worship problem. Right? Because what we worship, we give our time to. We give our eyes to. We give our money to. We give our ears to. And so, instead of a lot of us fighting the battle spiritually, we try everything physical and nothing spiritual. When the reality is, is this battle's not going to be won until we deal with the root problem of what is going on. This is a spiritual fight. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. 
but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. We're going to get into that in just a second. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So this spiritual battle which was in heaven has now made its way here. This is where we currently are. This is the war that we are currently in. And this has been going on since the ancient of days. But what is so important for us to realize is this great war and battle that we are in was a spiritual one first. Satan and those who fell with him, there was a great war in heaven. And isn't it good news that they were not strong enough to fight and they were hurled to the earth? Hurled is not like, oh, just a little, it's thrown, body slammed. God tombstoned them to the earth, right? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) WWE fans like, yeah, Undertaker, stop. Okay, you're going away. Let's come back, come back to me. But what happens in this moment is, Do you live in that victory right there, that the same powers of heaven which threw Satan and our enemy down to the earth is the same power that's available to you? The same God who easily... Notice it's not a long battle there. It's not like they fought for years, they fought for centuries, they fought for millennia in heaven. No, this is moments. And so what happens is this great battle is one... And in preparation for the end times, I think so many of us are thinking about bunkers and frozen meals and dry food and gold and silver and all of these things. And the reality is, is as we look at the end times, I don't know if those things are really going to work because primarily the battle is spiritual. And I know a lot of Christians that, that get deceived to think that the end times are about how much food we have in a bunker and like are we going to survive these things in the nuclear war and all, like all of these things, these theories that come up, but I find very few preparing spiritually. And so here's what I would say. We have to prioritize what is primary. What is primary for the believer in Jesus Christ is the spiritual battle. So that means that you and I need to be spiritually ready. We need to walk in the spirit. And yes, you can get ready physically, but man, we need to be ready spiritually. And what happens in this moment is we learn about a huge tactic of the enemy. Because John puts in there, did you notice that in those verses, he says that he names a couple of names for the enemy. Look at verse 9 again. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent which would lead us back to Genesis. This is what he's saying. I'm I'm reintroducing you to the one who started all the problem in Genesis. This is an ancient war called, what, the devil, comma, or Satan. Now, the word the devil is the older name for the enemy. It actually has a, a, a meaning within it that for the first century hearer would have really helped them understand the tactic of the enemy. Okay, and here's what the devil, that word literally translated means the slanderer. That's what the word, the devil means, is, would be the slanderer. If you don't know what slander is, I, I looked it up. I just want to be sure I had this right. It's to make false or damaging statements. What would be another name that we would use to understand what the devil does? He's the accuser. He's the accuser. He stands before heaven and makes these 
comments, these moments, the, the, look at what they did, look at how they did this, look at, look, didn't you see that? Look at all of these things. And isn't it great that we not only have the accuser, but now we have the great mediator, Jesus Christ, who as the accusation is coming in, the mediator, com- mediator comes in and says, that's all taken care of. What happens for you and I is we have to understand this. See, the evil one would have had a especially strong impact in the first century. This is what one commentator says. For there was a well-known and well-hated figure in ancient society called the delator, the paid informer. It, he made his living by accusing people before the authorities. That was his job. It is not a large step from accuser to slanderer and thus the Satan is not infrequently called the devil, the slanderer, the accuser. In addition to accusing and slandering, the evil one deceives, and John brings out the scope of this activity by saying he leads the whole world astray. So one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has in your life right now is accusation. And how many of us, you can relate to this, I'm not good enough. Because I did these things. I'll never get over because you're reminded of your past. I'll never have my marriage healed because of all of these things. And the enemy constantly is accusing you. But the real reality is, is in Christ, there's no more accusation. That is even what Corinthians says. Where are the fiery darts of the enemy? Not even the accusation can come against you anymore. That has been paid in full by Christ. But you and I are living as if we are, we have spiritual amnesia. And we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten the great place that we have in the kingdom. And we have forgotten that in Christ, there's not even an accusation that can come against us. And this is one of the greatest tactics of the enemy. Because if I can't keep you from entering the war, I want to keep you from fighting in it. And how many of us feel like we can't get into the spiritual battle because of all the things that have gone wrong in our life? I'll never be able to get married again because of, man. I'll never be financially secure because of, I'll never be able to go in ministry because of, I'll never be able to witness to someone I've messed up to. And you just hear accusation after accusation after accusation. And the devil's name literally tells you what he does. God does not accuse, God convicts. There's a really big difference. Because what conviction is, is about turning. What accusation is, is about condemning. Let me give you guys an example of how this works. Condemnation is about pressing down. Conviction is about lifting up and moving forward. And so some of us think that the accusation that we hear is from God and not from the enemy. If if what you are hearing is not trying to move you forward through repentance in Christ, you have to recognize who's talking to you. And let me tell you something. Because this is an ancient war, the enemy's really good at sounding like God. So how do you discover the counterfeit? You study the real thing. This is a spiritual war. You want to know what God sounds like? He sounds a lot like this. And for some of us, we can't find our way in this spiritual war, so we sit out in the game because we go, man, I, man, all these things are not true, and we forget that even in Christ, the accusation of the enemy has been extinguished. 
It's one of his greatest tools, and you and I are getting hit with these fiery darts, and we are acting like they're impaling us, and God's like, in you, those are done. In you, in in Christ, these are done. They've been paid for, and they have been bought. Because here's the reality. Are we winning and living in the victory that has been won? Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 12 is a song. I'm not going to sing it. Um, Don't worry. Praise the hallelujah. Right? Oh, somebody fell out right there. Right there. Somebody fell out. I won't do it anymore, people. Okay. Stop. Stop, guys. Calm down. We let Cody do all the runs and stuff. (laughs) See, this is a spiritual fight, but here's the reality. The battle's won. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. That's his Savior. For thee, there it is right in the text, accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It says this, verse 12, first part. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Here is what is so beautiful. That Messiah that comes who rules in power, it doesn't mean physical strength because this is a spiritual battle. It means authority. That Jesus rules as Messiah through his authority, which has been given to him because of not only because he is God, but what he has accomplished on the cross. See, one commentator said it this way, and I thought this was so beautiful. Christians, accordingly, are not working towards victory, but from a victory already achieved. Here, let me put this into modern moments. Businessmen, when you are bidding on a job, that's the war. When you win the bid and do the work, that's you operating out of the victory. When you actually start to do the work that you bid on and won, that's you operating out of victory. You're not trying to win the war anymore. Now you're just fighting the battles, right? Same thing for you and I in Christ. The bid has already been won. It's already been paid. The victory is already ours. You and I now operate out of the fact that that battle, that war has been won, and now we're just working our way to victory. So some of us in here need to relax a little bit and not relax as in your intensity but in the idea that this is all upon you the victory has already been won the bid has already been done now you and I work in the confidence that the battle's already ours that is huge change in our life and why is this so important why is this so important Because if it's already been won and the battle's already been paid, then the greatest tactic of the enemy, which is accusation in this moment, is gone. If everything has been taken care of, there's nothing to accuse of anymore. There's nothing to say, look, it's like, it's already been done. It's already been taken care of. I heard this analogy a couple years ago, and this is what the Bible means when it was by the blood of the Lamb who won the victory in the word of their testimony. It's you and I proclaiming in our testimony that our victory is in Christ and in Christ alone. Here's how this operates. Let me kind of give you an analogy. I heard this years ago. I thought it was one of the best analogies I've ever heard. I've used it at the church before, but it's good. A man 
uh, a long time ago, uh, bought a Bentley. Bentley had this, uh, you know, early reputation that their cars were indestructible and nothing ever went wrong with their cars. And so this man bought a Bentley in the United Kingdom. He drove it, uh, he had it in France, and he was driving it in France, and the car broke down. The, the car that can't, I think back in the day, they made promises they couldn't keep, right? Like, the Titanic will never sink, except for the first time. It's a problem, right? Like, a little over-promise, under-deliver. Bentley, over-promise and under-deliver. So this guy, he's not upset. Things break down. You know, you're not, like, tied to a slogan. So he calls Bentley, and he says, hey, look, I'm in France. My Bentley broke down. It, it has a problem. So they said, sir, where are you? Okay, we are sending a mechanic to you. Guys, could this, man, the world has changed, has it not? We are sending a mechanic to you. The next day, the mechanic arrives in the small town. He goes to the garage, he fixes the car, it runs flawlessly. About a month later, he leaves, doesn't give the guy a bill. About a month later, the guy goes, you know what? I haven't gotten a bill yet from Bentley. And how many of us know that's not going to be a cheap bill? So he calls Bentley. And he said, hi, this is so-and-so. You might remember me. Um, you guys actually flew a mechanic out to me. Uh, but my car broke down in France about a month ago. A mechanic flew out, fixed the car. It's working well, immaculate. It's perfect right now. And what happens is, is he goes, uh, but the reality, I haven't gotten a bill yet, and I want to settle the bill. The person on the phone goes, just give me a minute. Let me just take a look. Uh, oh, yep, sir, I found your car here. I found our records on your car. Um, we have zero record of anything having ever gone wrong with your car. He said, no, 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 you guys sent out a mechanic. She goes, sir, we have zero record of anything having gone wrong with your car. Now, had things gone wrong? Yeah, but Bentley paid the price, right? And the record showed that nothing had gone wrong. Could the same be true for you and I in Christ? That because of the blood of the lamb and the testimony of, of what he has done, that the enemy looks at our lives and goes up to God to accuse us. And God goes, let me check the records. Yeah, when I check the records, it's as if nothing has gone wrong in their life. So there's nothing left to accuse. You are powerless here. Now leave. And I really believe that when we look at our life and the enemy brings the accusation, God looks and goes, paid in full. And so now there's nothing left to accuse. It's a toothless lion with a loud voice. Let's go back to the analogy. It's a toothless dragon with a loud voice that is distracting but truly has no power. This is what the book of Revelation tells us. That in Christ, our debt record, everything having gone wrong in our life, is paid in full. There is no record of anything having gone wrong in our life. Because when God looks at your life, if you've believed in this room as Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he doesn't see your mistakes, he sees the blood of the Lamb. And you and I are covered. And it's as if nothing has gone wrong in your life. And your Father in heaven is well pleased in the sacrifice of Jesus, which now covers you. And this is why we do not boast in our works. We do not boast in everything that we've done. We do not boast in, in who we are. This doctrine tells us that we are saved by grace. 
alone. It's nothing we earned, it's nothing we deserve, but it is the gift of God that needs to be received through faith. But how many of us know that Satan's a punk and he doesn't give up? You ever heard of a sore loser? Satan started that. Look at what the second part of Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 12, the second part, it says this. It's this great victory song, but in the song there's a warning. And it says this, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil, which is the accuser, has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. How many of us know when you know the time is short, you get desperate? Right? You all clean in your house when people are coming over and time is short. You just shove stuff in closets, right? Time is short. Kids! Right? And you just scream. Time is short. You get desperate. <laughs> we all know you guys go buy cookies out at Publix and then heat them up in the oven. And like, look, because time was short. You got desperate. Okay. This is, look at this. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman being Israel, who had given birth to the male child. If you look at the history of Israel, does it not look like they've been pursued by the enemy? Does it not look like even that is happening now? But it's not just Israel the nation. It's God's true people. They're being pursued by the enemy. Are you living like you're being pursued? The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness. Notice that God prepares a place for his people where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half of a time, out of the serpent's reach. This is talking about the tribulation. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and swept off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So yes, the war is won, but the battle is here. So for you and I just to walk around like, hey, nothing's going to happen is not a reality that you and I need to live in. Because, yes, the war is won, and we need to operate out of our victory, but you need to be ready to fight the battles that are ahead. Let's go back to the bidding analogy. Yes, you won the bid, and the money's going to be there, and the job is going to get done, but how many of you all know it's a battle to get to that, to get to the final victory? Justin's here. Justin helped us with all, a lot of our plumbing. There's toilets and things like that. Everyone give Justin a round of applause because... But how many of us know he, the, the war was, like, the battles are, like, won. It, it's done. But he had to wrestle sinks and unclog toilets and wrestle those things out of the ground, right? And he had to do all of these things in order to see that. The, just because the bid was won doesn't mean that there was no work to do. And you and I need to realize that, yes, the war is won, but the battle is now. And are you here to fight? Look, you didn't start this fight, but are you here to finish it? In Christ, the battle is won, but we need to walk with Christ through the Spirit, by the Word, in order to continue to see victory in this life. The only thing that the enemy wants to do is cause you to realize who you are. Last analogy of the morning. This isn't in my notes, but it just came to my mind. 
because so many of us are living as if we are still bound and not fighting the battle anymore. Um, you know, back in the day, elephants were a big part of the circus. Now, there, I don't think there's any animals in the circus but dogs or something. And my wife went to a circus recently, and they had a robot dog. So I don't know what that means. That the robots are about to take over. But, um, <laughs> but what happened um, is the way they used to train elephants was really interesting. What, the elef- what they used to do with elephants is they would uh, take them, and when they were babies, they would use these really heavy-duty iron steel chains and put them around their feet. And they would take a, a big circus tent spike, which is huge, right? And they would put it into the ground, and the elephant, when they're little babies, were too little to overcome that. And so they start to believe in the lie, right? Because a, a full-grown elephant can push whole trees over. Right? Like, they, they are strong. They are fiercely strong. And what begins to happen is, is the, the little elephant begins to believe the lie that they will be tethered to this thing forever. Like accusations against you and I. We're tied to them. And what begins to happen is the, the enemy does that. And when the elephants were fully grown, they didn't even have to put the shackle to the ground with a spike. All they had to do was put it around their feet and the elephant would stay where they had put it because it believed that it was tethered. Same is true of you and I. Many of us believe we're tethered to those old sins. We believe that we're tethered to those old habits. We believe that those shackles are put on our feet and we have to obey them. But in Christ, the battle has been won and you and I need to choose to throw off the shackles continually. And so how do we walk in victory in this place as the band's coming and we're going to praise God? How do you and I walk in victory? Well, here's the first thing. You've got to fight the right battle. You can't fight a spiritual battle with physical things. The physical things should come in and support the spiritual war that's being fought. If you going into that cold plunge and you doing all of these things helps bring your mind to Christ and your mind is focused on him and you're focused in on what's actually happening, Great. But don't just replace the spiritual with the physical. Here's the other thing. Don't panic. God has you. Panic causes you to run into chaos. But the reality is, as our mind, when it's truly set on Christ and truly set on what he can do, we run towards the roar with Christ, knowing that we have a toothless enemy that has no accusation against us. And so we run towards him. And when you resist the devil, stand firm in who you are, the devil will run from you right? In Christ. Not only that, how do you win? You have consistency with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to hang out with the guy who won it all. You want to learn how to win? Hang out with the guy who won it all, right? I mean, if you want to learn how to be a great quarterback, and some of you in this room are going to hate this, you go hang out with Tom Brady. For real, that guy, he's not the best athlete, but he's basically one of the best quarterbacks ever. He's got all these rings to show it. You want to learn how to win games and manage seasons and do that? Go hang out with Tom Brady. You don't go hang out with the third-string quarterback of the Panthers, right? Like, sorry, Panthers fans, right? But you don't go, hey, how do you win? He's like, I don't know. I've never done it, so I don't know. (laughs) I think about it a lot, but I don't know. (laughs) Go hang out with Jesus. He's the one who won the war. Truly. And this, remember what you are working towards. 
Cling to Jesus. And finally, remember this, that the truth defeats the lie. The truth defeats the accusation that they won by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. That's how they won. And for some of us in this room, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 needs to be written on your mirror needs to be written on your phone. It needs to be a place where you remember that the war is won in, in Christ and by what he did, that, that war is over. And we can win the battle and we can know these things when we hold true to our testimony, which is there is no accusation against us because of what Jesus has done. If you're in this place, we're gonna sing now and you need to come and respond to God by prayer you need to respond to God by, by grabbing someone's hand. You need to respond to God by giving. You need to respond to God by, by bowing at your chair. Whatever you need to do, this place is free today because of Christ. So worship him freely today. Let nothing hold you back here today. He has won the war. Let us walk in that victory today. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and your truth. We will shout our praises to the heavens today because you are worthy and you are king and you are Lord and you have overcome the great enemy. And help us to walk in that victory today. May our song today be, may it be our shout of victory today. We love you in Christ's name. Everyone said.